when a lot of times we'll say my identity is in Christ alone. And I love saying to my classes, no, it's not. And Christ never intended for your identity to be in Christ alone. I'm William. I'm Dave. Dave is my pastor. Willie is a hospice chaplain. And we've been friends for more than 20 years. We've had thousands of conversations about things that matter and things that don't. So now we're inviting you to join in. Each week we pull a topic out of the hopper and talk about it. This is the Hopper Podcast. The Hopper Podcast is not professional advice, just two guys spitballing. So do your own research. Oh boy. So, okay, so scapegoating. I'm curious, Matt, if you would be willing to tell us the story about that you tell in the book about um, what happened in Chattanooga uh, many, many years ago. That story just captured me, and I think it illustrates um, better than anything I've ever heard before Mm -hmm. what you're talking about with scapegoating sociologically and morally as a community that happens so much with us. Did I just put too much, uh, uh, set you up too, is that too high a bar to clear? No, no, he can do this. (laughs) It's impressive. that's a, that's a compelling story. I mean, very sad. I first learned about Ed Johnson is his name uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. from my aunt. I think I have an uncle and aunt who live here in Chattanooga, and I think she was even involved with the Ed Johnson Memorial Committee that worked to erect the monument that they put up in 2021 or 2022. Okay. Yeah, and he was this um, young black man. He was 24 years old, and there was a woman, a white woman, who had been raped, and he was sort of the guy they found to, you know, sort of answer for this. He didn't do it. There was another black man too. And she really hadn't seen much. There was a strap around her neck. And so there's all this sort of counter evidence, but they basically, um, you know, arrested him. And, you know, you can imagine the wrath of a primarily sort of majority white community coming down Mm -hmm. on a black man accused of raping a white woman. Okay. So where and when is this? Where and when? Hold on. Just generally. Oh, sorry. It this was just over last week. No, 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 no. It was just over a hundred years ago. Okay, they yeah. just had the hundredth anniversary gotcha. of uh, okay. of when he was lynched on the Walnut Street Bridge. That's right. I can't remember the exact year, but it's just over a hundred years. So it's a turn of the century sort of thing. The Walnut Street and, Bridge in Chattanooga. In Chattanooga, mm-hmm. and it's now a walking bridge, but wow. it's a it's a pretty long, you know, steel structure. Uh, bridge. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they arrest him and, um, you know, he's sort of found guilty and sentenced to death. And, you know, there's, you know, then some black attorneys file, you know, a plea to get overturned and it's not. And eventually um, the Supreme Court orders a stay of execution. Well, I guess they can think through this or something. Right. And he's being held in a jail in Chattanooga. And so at one point, a mob sort of gathers and they go over there and the sheriff is pretty involved in this and basically sort of steps aside and these guys put him in a room, but he makes no attempt to break out of the room. So the sheriff's sort of there and they spend several hours using like sledgehammers and an ax to break through into his cell. They break Mm. in and they drag him out and they drag him to the Walnut street bridge and basically they have a cable and they string him up and they lynch him and he doesn't die very quickly. And so they start shooting at him. Mm -hmm. Um, I think one thing I read said he'd been shot more than 50 times. Mm. One point um, a bullet severs the cable that he is, you know, suspended from and he falls down. And then I think somebody shoots bullets directly into his head. And his last words are along the lines of, um, you know, 
Father, forgive them, and I am an innocent man. And Chattanooga is kind of a hmm. known to be sort of a Christian kind of town, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so I actually ended that saying, and thus ends the story of how a Christian man was killed by a mostly Christian mob. Right. So you have all that going on, and it, it's just really, really a terrible thing. It was almost like what well, any black man would do. And so I think the way that, um, that Rene Girard would explain this is he says, sacrifice has been going on since the beginning. You know, mm-hmm. we have all these mythic stories about sacrifice of a virgin. Um, you know, there's different ones in different Native American stories. And uh, Inuit, Eskimo culture, there's the Sedna myth and it has kind of environmental ethic. And Girard says, you, you have all these myths where there is the sacrifice of someone. And he believes that those aren't just sort of allegories, that at the base of those are real executions of people. Mm-hmm. And we've had this going on forever. And we might sort of say, well, that's terrible. But we do it symbolically and we do it in real, you know, visceral, physical ways as well. But the idea is that we have something that he identifies or he calls mimetic rivalry. In other words, humans are all drawn to each other, you know. Like you, the three of us have imitated each other's hairstyles, right? For example, <laughs> um, it's a but very you know, manly we're hairstyle. each other. Yeah, it's a very manly that's hairstyle. It. That's right. That's right. And that's a really good part of what it means to be human. Like, so I see someone wearing, you know, a shirt like this, and then I want to get a shirt like this. Uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. You know, I think, man, you know, those guys, you know, I like their glasses. I'll get those glasses. And so all of these things sort of draw people together. And you can think of a group of middle schoolers sort of imitating themselves with their shoes. Mm-hmm. shoes and fashion, that sort of thing. But then he says, the very thing that draws people together is also the thing that creates sort of the seeds of discontent and can kind of ferment yeah. and become something really bad. And so switching from fashion for a minute to a, an example I use also is middle school basketball. You can have a group of middle school girls who love playing basketball together, have a great time, are friends, and then they're on a team and all these things of having fun that drew them together, they're very like, well, maybe one player gets a little more time from the coach. And then the other player is criticized by someone's parent. Mm-hmm. And so pretty soon there's rivalries and mm. there's nastiness. Mm. Yeah. And pretty soon they're talking smack about that girl and either, you know, somehow symbolically scapegoating her. And the idea is, oh, if we just get rid of her or if we just get rid of the bully or whoever it is, mm-hmm. then, okay. And now, because the sort of sin of the community has been addressed, they're responsible, they're guilty. Now, a peace kind of settles over for a while. Mm-hmm. It's always temporary until the same thing happens and we need a new scapegoat. And so that's kind of what's going on. Ed Johnson does that. It's this horrific, violent, visceral, awful thing. And it sort of dissipates the tensions and ugliness in a community and a calm settles over. Gerard says this. Yeah. But then, again, and so all through history, it's just a line of victims, 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 victims. And then along comes Jesus, Gerard says. And here's Jesus. And he's the truly innocent one, right? Right. And the gospel writers are emphatic. They never concede that he bore any guilt for anything he did. But he says that, that, that the gospel writers actually compel us to look at Jesus. He's not nameless, faceless. It's not the sacrifice of some unnamed virgin, 
but it's it's Jesus. He has a name. We know who his mother is. Mm-hmm. You know, we know who his disciples were. We look at him, and he's the truly innocent one. And that compels us to look at this scapegoating and act of sacrifice differently. With Jesus, there's a decisive break from it. We can no longer act like that will assuage our guilt and solve the problems of community. Right. Now, if you've ever seen a movie like um, Just Mercy, have you seen that? Yeah. I mean, you know, where you have a black man sort of accused and in prison for almost all his life. It's a very similar thing, right? Like, yeah. It's this black man and he's guilty. And that will take care of our guilt. Well, it never does. It keeps going. Right. And, you know, and so then Jesus is the solution to this because now we have to think in terms of these are people and they're victims and they don't solve the problem. But identity, you know, identifying with Jesus, the scapegoat who ends the need to scapegoat solves the problem. Hmm. And everything, I mean, I've always been struck in sociology as a Christian sociologist with how Jesus inverts everything. You wish to be first, be last. You wish to lead, then serve and start washing feet. Yeah. Um, consider others better than yourselves. Um, and on and on and on. Why? Because in all of those positions where you're going to be first and you're going to lead, there's the potential, I think, to scapegoat the other. We run over them. But we see this everywhere. If we could just get rid of that president, oh, then we'll be okay. Right. No, we won't. Right. That will not eliminate our guilt and our problems. So we never actually deal with our guilt and our shame and our problems. We find someone to scapegoat. And as much as I've written about it, oh, like I said, it does live in me. Mm-hmm. And it probably lives in you. Um, and it is an ongoing challenge. But that's, I, that, I mean, Girard, he's a, this French literary critic, theologian. And it's really hard to understand. Mark Heim is this um, contemporary theologian who's interpreted him. And I relied on him a lot as a secondary source. Yeah. But it was, it was just compelling. And so, you know, God's people are distinctively non-violent. Why? Because violence can scapegoat others. Violence um, can be a, a, a refusal to identify with the non-violent Jesus who paid the, this price and was a scapegoat and scapegoating. That's not a statement against defending yourself, but it's a statement against retributive violence, which is right. so common. Uh, and and we, even, we even employ it symbolically in sports and in other uh-huh. areas. I mean, I think that's yeah. For me, the gist, and that's that's a real challenge. My identity is in Christ. That maybe one more thing. When a lot of times I'll say my identity is in Christ alone, and I love saying to my classes, "No, it's not." And Christ never intended for your identity to be in Christ alone, because often identity in Christ is experienced through your family the context. Yes, yes. yes. Yeah, that's through right. The care for the marginal. Yes, through these people that you think are the insignificant ones in this kingdom. You know, and, and that can change. Yeah. I think that has potential to change everything. You yeah. know, I, I think that is so powerful. I have studied quite a bit on systems theory um, yeah, and yeah. psychology. And as a as a chaplain, that's something that's uh, really, really important as I go in and help families. But uh, a lot of what that's about is in a particular system, a family or a church or larger systems, there's anxiety in the group. Right. And... Uh, and I think that that's a little bit of what you're talking about. So some communities have more anxiety or less anxiety as each individual mm-hmm. person 
that an anxious energy, if I can put it that way, kind of flows within the group. Mm -hmm. And who are the power players? And am I in the right position? And how do I get what I need out of this person and out of that person? Mm -hmm. And those very, very anxious groups are very, very dysfunctional. Well, people are abusing each other in tremendous ways. And people take on roles of the abuser and the abused and all mm -hmm. these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, so and the and the goal then of a therapist or of a chaplain or of a pastor um, or someone who just wants to be healthy is to come in and be a non-anxious presence, to be yeah. with to be with truly with there, not just in the same room, but to be with people presence, but in a non-anxious way, and that's difficult to do. But it sounds to me like what you're saying with the scapegoating from a sociological perspective is related. That is to say. In the story of Chattanooga um, and this man that they uh, scapegoated on the bridge, that the entire community was, uh, the anxiety was building more and more and more animosity. And what they can do then is to say, what do we, do? we're having lots and lots of problems. I can feel it inside this anxiety. But if we all agree that the problem is not inside me and it's not inside you, it's that guy. Mm -hmm. And let's put all, so the problem is, I don't, I don't want to look inside me, and I don't want to have to change. But if I can say the right. problem in our community is that guy, let's get him. Yeah. Or is that lady, let's get her. Yeah. And that's the scapegoating, I think, that you're talking about. And, and the tragedy there is that, that these are Christians doing this, right. and that they have the resources in the gospel um, that the identity in Jesus is a is a slow burn over a lifetime of sanctification of learning yeah. that I don't have to validate myself I don't have to perform I don't have to uh, assuage my guilt I have Jesus and if I if I so you know you look at someone today who's who's overly conservative about the issue of race um, they keep bringing up points like uh, uh, well I've I've been a scapegoat too. You know, like I'm, I'm, I have the counter racism going on now, mm -hmm. and I had no part of that. And I'd say, well, there, there clearly was a beginning to this in our his, in our history. Oh yeah, well, Africans were selling Africans back in the day in Africa, mm -hmm. and there's, you know, mm -hmm. and and I just want to say, okay, there's a fundamental breakdown in understanding the gospel here. Yeah, because Jesus re, uh, removes all that, and you can really look at yourself with all of its ugliness and say, Jesus loves me, he died for me, and I don't have to scapegoat, I don't have to blame, I don't ha I, yes, I, I suffer injustice. Um, most of my injustice has come by the hands of white men, you know, mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. African Americans. Right, right. Yeah. me um, too. Right, and so I get injustice, I get there's suffering, there's things that are wrong, and they, they burn mm. me up, um, and, and, I, and I realize there's a long history of, of all this of filth and, and oppression and, and disruption of, of all kinds of, of societies, people's lives. And, and, and yet, is Jesus real? Is he tangible? Is the gospel going to, to permeate into the deepest parts of my soul? Or will I just kind of react in my natural man and keep stranger making and keep scapegoating and keep yeah. trying to, to build it. Hey, we're okay because we're part of this group and that's what mm -hmm. makes us okay. It doesn't make you okay. Mm -hmm. Jesus no. has to make you okay. You know, mm -hmm. it, it's, Oh, you're right. Yeah. It's such a long lesson. It's such a long process. Yeah. I, I was in this Bible study with, um, our neighbor just down the road, our sons are both adopted. So our sons are about the same age and they're good friends. And he is an abbot in an Anglican church. 
And I've told him that he should consider making at least a YouTube video called Downton Abbott. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. The name itself, um, uh, he'll get a bunch of clicks. <laughs> but he invited us and, and some other people. I think yeah. there was one other. Yeah. There was one other uh, professor from my college who was there. Um, and so it's just a small group of people. And they usually would have a bonfire. And we had this really quick, I think it was every other week. And we worked through a chapter every other week of Ephesians. And Ephesians, it's great. It's all about unity and these sorts of things. Yeah. But I had an epiphany one day or at, one night after that because we got to Ephesians 4. And in Ephesians 4, and I teach interpersonal communication, so it's connected. In Ephesians 4, it says some version of, uh, you know, let no word proceed from your mouth except that which is good for edifying. Mm. And I started thinking about it. And then I thought, I thought, you know, there is nowhere in the scripture that permits the person who identifies as a, you know, a child of God, you know, as a Christian, there's no place where we're permitted to mock the other. To mock is to dehumanize. Our entire culture is based on mocking. Yeah. And I find myself doing it. That has been a challenge for me too. Yeah. I have sort of committed myself on social media, which I'm not on all that much, but I won't say something that mocks and I won't put a thumbs up to something that mocks another. Right. I just don't. But that's sort of part of that that drives that um if we're mocking we really aren't sort of um the functioning part of the gospel in people's lives yeah it's not and that you know mocking is scapegoating it is it's it's uh protecting self right it's the self-justification yeah. of, of it really is. yeah and, and i think there's a mocking that happens between friends that is constructive and relationship building but it right. it doesn't it doesn't go into those places where it, it right. hits the rub right you're sticking yeah, there's, nails there's under room the, for satire yeah. and stuff like that there right. is but yeah. It, yeah there's there's clearly a self-righteous component right and yeah. and a lot of of, of any kind yeah. of mocking and um yeah. yeah that's good i uh are you are you open to to criticism you're going to release multiple editions of this book who knows of all, yeah. you know, really multiple editions. But yes, of course I'm open up. Yeah, so I um, I think Just that, don't scapegoat me. That's right. <laughs> but Dave, do you want to be the stranger here coming in, offering a different yeah. perspective? Um, mm -hmm. I would say, I would say, um, if you're going to release another uh, edition, strengthen the, these ties with the gospel and Jesus as the answer. Um, mm -hmm. it, toward the end of the book, it gets a little less accessible. Um, so I don't know if you were writing to the church or if you're writing to intellectuals, but like you know, toward the end, I was like, oh man, the people in my mm -hmm. church are not going to get through this. <laughs> it was, uh, which, which parts can you think of? Particular? Uh, you know, I noticed it was in the, in the latter chapters, it was pretty heavy on some of the sociological um, research that you've done and uh, mm -hmm. it involved a little bit more jargon. When, when this project started, I kind of envisioned it as like a Malcolm Gladwell book. I, you know, his book Blink was really oh, yeah. uh, was great. Mm. David and Goliath, which is about power, I think it's great. And he just has this way of bringing sociological and psychological concepts to sort of the masses. And he's not a sociologist, but he's better at explaining it than many of them are. That's very true. Yeah. That yeah. was my original idea. When I eventually got the book contract with Baker Academic, um, I was still in that vein. And in my proposal, I said, I, I envision it in this way. But they really saw it as an academic book. So then mm. I was like, well, I'm an academic. That's good. Yeah. So I wrote it that way. Um, but then I've sort of seen it as sort of fulfilling these dual roles. I can use it in sociology classes or, you know, uh, we have a Christ in culture class at the college. And I'm toying with um, adopting it for that. It's a multi-professor class that I am sort of the lead professor of. Um, 
but then I think it also, you know, can work for churches. But yeah, I'll I'll grant you that that is, you know, that is the challenge of you know yeah, who's I, it for. I thought it was greatly accessible until later on it started. Uh, yeah, but um, and I, and so I think like, well, who who would I have read this book um in my church? And I, I have to yeah. be a little more choosy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then yeah. um. And then lastly, the, uh, when you, you did take a position on immigration, um, okay. yeah. And, uh, I felt that the, the hermeneutics need to be cleaned up a little bit there in terms of, uh, what, what God says to Israel as a theocracy where their, their civil, moral and ceremonial laws are all melted yeah. together. How does mm-hmm. that translate for us today? Um, yeah. you know, a, a nationalist Christian nationalist kind of does the same sort of hermeneutic, right? Like mm-hmm. we should, we should, uh, yeah. We should execute sodomites. Um, we should, you know, as, yeah. and, and, and so it's like you got to be really careful in, in the, uh, the application if it's going past the people of God, right? The Old Testament people of God and the New Testament people of God, there's, that's more of a one-to-one ratio. How should yeah. the church not scapegoat? How should the church not uh, yeah. alienate or strain? But when you, as soon as you take the leap to American policy, you're going to lose a bunch of conservatives or people who, um, who are going to feel the breakdown in that hermeneutic, right? Yeah, and I, I get that, and I I did struggle to a certain extent with that, and you can probably clear up a couple things for me rather nicely today. Um, you do have, you know, I, I drew on Tisha Rajendra's book, um, Migrants and Strangers, I think, and she talks about where there is um, relationship, there's responsibility, and so that's kind of sociological because I could look mm. at American companies like Nike um, right. and others. To go into Mexico and set up factories and then find out, oh, we can get a lot cheaper labor in Southeast right. Asia. Let's get out of here. And then people from Mexico show up here and we're like, what? You freeloaders? What are you doing? That resonates with me. Absolutely. I think at the yeah. end of the day, yeah. I-, I looked up a bunch of sources on, you know, on this problem. And boy, it was hard to make heads or tails. There are very compelling positions on closed borders, open borders. And right. everything in between. And I'm yes, not yes. political economist enough to really distinguish. Yeah. So I think what I want people to take away is what we clearly should not do. And those, you know, for me, that was embodied in several sociological principles. Yeah. Folk devils, which is compelling, is that you yeah. can create a scapegoat. They're dangerous. Nope, the evidence shows they're not. So you, you can still have closed borders or whatever. But you can't build walls and use nasty rhetoric because they're committing crimes. Because it's just, can you find someone who's committed crimes? Sure. But they're not the ones committing crimes. It's just not true with the best data that we have. If you have better data, bring it forward. And, you know, and then the way that that this can function sort of as an identity sort of thing, I, I guess it just struck me that it defies the logic of evangelicalism, you know do we really believe that these things are ours and we're to guard them and make sure that vulnerable people can't get their hands on them? Mm-hmm. No. Um, and if those aren't the least of these, and if we're scapegoating them, we're the people of God for who? And so, you know, those right. couple of things are the main points I'm trying to make, but I get what you're saying. Times when I, like I actually wrote the fourth chapter or well, I guess it became the third chapter, the, the scapegoating chapter. Yeah. I was on sabbatical and I flew up to Ontario to my parents' house for a week and they're retired. And so I'd write, have coffee with my dad and he would, you know, um, share some theological insights with me. And then I went home and finished out the chapter and I um, emailed him and said, dad, what do you think? And he said, well, 
I think you sound like a sociologist who's trying to sound like a theologian. And I read it. I was like, oh, <laughs> you are so right. Yeah. And so I think partly what you're seeing is that, too. I also, yeah. my dad said to me, and I think wisely, don't try to act like you're a th- theologian. Mm, mm, mm. Because, you know, and I have the same problem when theologians try to act like they're sociologists. Sure. They say things about divorce that simply aren't supportable and so forth. Yeah. Um, and so I was trying to... Um, well, I guess I'm basically trying to share sociological insights while yeah. denying all responsibility for my theological ones. But <laughs> th- there is a little bit about that. Yeah. I'm not, you know, trying to be a, a theologian as much as I'm trying to to kindle someone's imagination um, yeah. based on some sociological insights. Yeah, and that, I, the book definitely did that for me. Like, I, you could like, write a whole other book on immigration. Um, yeah. If you if you felt like you know mm-hmm. you were qualified mm-hmm. to do that, you could you could definitely yeah. like th- that could be a whole book. It could yeah. where yeah. you where you're just like nuancing and uh, and, and building some of the the a better hermeneutic about you mm-hmm. know where mm-hmm. how do we relate to the Old Testament and stuff like that. That yeah, and that would be very fascinating because of your sociology. Like the sociology yes. piece yes. is what I, where yeah. I was learning. Right, that's where I was mm-hmm. learning. Yeah. Um. And so. Uh, that I think we need to help each other in, you know, that that's, that's where I was excited. The scapegoating part in particular, I was yeah. like, Oh yeah, this is oh, good. Yeah. I'm learning something here, you know, and that's, that's yeah. what I, that's why I read. I don't read for pleasure. Um, no. I, I hate reading. <laughs> I read to learn stuff, you know, I'm yeah. a little like that too. I mean, it's a confession here, but you know, I'm an academic, so I read and write for a living and right. I teach. And right. when I come home, all these romantic notions of reading before bed. I don't want to read. I no, want to watch no, a yeah. series or something like that. <laughs> right, well, right. well here, here's a question for you about, um, about some of this is you have the conquest narratives in Exodus where mm-hmm. the Israelites are yes, yes. flashing and burning their way through. This is the rub. And I had a, a theologian um, who reviewed my book and published a review and I really liked him and I liked his review. And um, then after that was done, you know, we had a little bit of dialogue and he said, tell me what, you know, what's your opinion or what are your thoughts about these conquest narratives? And I said, well, hey, I don't know, but here is how a sociologist might interpret them. And I talked uh-huh. about the different kinds of bonds that, you know, an older kind of bond based on something we call mechanical solidarity, which is a bond based on sameness. So traditional societies, you know, the outsider is the threat because they threaten the way we are. They yeah. threaten the collective conscience. And so you expunge them. And so when I see them moving over, getting rid of all of everybody, including the infants, that seems to be that bond. So you have all this moving across and it seems pretty mm-hmm. brutal. Mm-hmm. And I'm never quite sure what to do. Like when I teach sociology of sport and we're in the violence chapter right now, it's the hardest chapter to teach. Mm-hmm. I showed a video um, yesterday of mixed martial arts fighting where two guys are beating each other yeah. to an unbelievable extent. Their ears are all cauliflower ears right. bent up and they're all, and they have to call the fight because one guy has so much blood. And out of a class of 25 to 30, I couldn't get one person to stand with me to say that, that there's something wrong with that. They right. said, well, they're willing participants. And I thought, Ugh. so you have the Israelites doing right. that. And then you have the Sinai covenant and you have Moses coming off and you have like, oh yeah, remember, you're not a people unto yourself. Take care that you are like God in caring for the stranger and the marginal ones. So that seems, I'm not sure what to do with that. You know, slash and burn and kill. Genocide. Child too, genocide. Mm -hmm. And my students will often cite that as legitimation for for violence in sports. So I'm like, genocide, huh? And then what do you do? Then you have have God and that's 
that's that's where those hermeneutics are really important you know like what if god if god is speaking directly to a theocracy and there's only one in history there's only one in history so people want america they start making relationships uh with america and and the one theocracy that's inappropriate because america is not a theocracy there is no other Mm -hmm. theocracy Mm -hmm. um that's that that i would call true i mean there are like like iran is a theocracy in the sense that its laws are based on sharia law and all that kind of stuff but yeah um they think of themselves as a theocracy but uh as far as like a legitimate one by Mm -hmm. you know according to our beliefs of, of the one true god there's just israel and his purposes through them and and uh judgment of a people group um yeah if he's saying that clearly and definitively to them as his mm-hmm. instrument as his sword on earth um yeah. that's different than any other a, a principle that we could apply today in a current government right. um right. we know that the government has a sword and they have the ability to kill but that that you know there's a just war ethic there's you know there's yeah. human rights there's um, all the ways that we've misused the death penalty that need to be brought into account. Do we have fairness in the courts? There's so many pieces that have to be brought to bear about the proper yeah. use of that sword. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. We don't have God saying to a, to a people in history anymore, I want you to go into this land and kill those people because their sin has risen up against me and right. it's time to judge them. We, th- yeah. th- there's no parallel to that. So, no, yeah. I, I think you're right. Yeah. And then... Um, I think that's really helpful. And then to address, I think what you were asking more specifically, mm-hmm. uh, coming from a maybe a theologian's perspective, yeah. the way that I understand that is uh, g- uh, God commanding the Lord, commanding them to go in purge um, the evil, the, including infants, um, is similar or analogous to what God did with Noah and the flood and just wiping out everybody and starting over. And the idea is that he's got his people, his nation is going to go in and we're going to establish a nation that really is holy, that really does operate by the 10 commandments and by the law of God. And then when that is established, um, an ideal community, an ideal nation that really does follow the laws of God, then people will stream from all over the world to come and to be a part of it. But we have to establish a community and a nation, a whole system, a society, a society. Constitution. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so um, when, when, we start, when God started over with Noah and the flood, he said, we're going to wipe out everybody and start with one righteous man. Well, he's immediately drunk and uh, you know, sexual immorality of some sort, although we don't know exactly what. And okay, so that didn't work. So let me start with a family, turn that into a nation. We're going to give them a land. We're going to wipe everybody out. We're going to start with a full society with a safety net and with laws and with all this stuff. And let's try that. It didn't work either. Yeah. And they said, oh, it's because we don't have a king. Okay, so he says, all right, fine. We'll get you a king. Let's set up a king. Oh, it's because our king is bad. Okay, we're going to get a king. Then I'm going to have a special relationship with it. You know, so now you've got David, all right? That's this. So that's going to work for you? And no, that didn't work either. Um, well, you know, we just need a little bit more time. Okay, so we give him lots of time and lots of money. Solomon creates this big, massive thing. That's what, that, what we just need money to, to, to do all this. Well, they had all the money they could possibly possibly want. Okay. And then, no, that's obviously not the case. And so all of this is God trying to show through history, look, you cannot do this on your own. You need Jesus. You need someone, you need need the ultimate stranger to come from the outside. Yeah. And embedded 
in all of that are all the types, all of the pictures yeah, of scapegoating, yeah, yeah, yeah. all That's the pictures right. of sacrifice, That's right. all of the, this nation, what they're really going to do is they're going to birth the Messiah. Yeah, that's that, right. That's their main that's purpose. Right. Mm-hmm. You know? And that was the goal all along. Yeah. But then also for us to for us now to go back and so that if someone says, and I have people say to this to me all the time, you know, um, it, I I'm actually a pretty good person. Well, let's look back in history. No, you're not. You know, <laughs> it's well if we could just you know get a group of people well, who compared to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, God's been yeah. very patient, and I think that that's a part of it is starting over. The the, the issue of the conquest, the same exact issue of the flood um, in terms of violence and wiping out and starting over. Yeah. And, and, and one thing I, that really resonates with me with what you said, or at least if I'm hearing you correctly, is, I mean, so much of that has to do with, you know, with, with having an ethic, with, with having God's ethic and approach to all of life. Yes. And for hmm. me, when I think of immigration, I think immigration policy cannot simply be put up a wall and, you know, thank you, we'll take some things from Malaysia and Southeast right. Asia able to do that if we wish to be the people of god and hold right. up bibles and such it's the entire thing in other words it's making sure that the marginal is considered better than myself making right. sure that right. no right. one goes hungry among us and you know any of these policies can't just be well we have a right to do this look the israelites did it there and so boom yeah. um yeah that's a totally a yeah we are not israel <laughs> Yeah, we, the United States is not Israel. That's another right. way to another way to, what you're saying is that the the church needs to influence its government. Um, you know, we need to we need to espouse the the right ethics to all spheres of life, right? Mm-hmm. And um, but the the most direct uh, parallel is like in the church when it, when an immigrant comes into Israel. Uh, unless they're just passing through, they've got to become Israeli. Yeah, that's right. They got to get yeah. circumcised, and they got They're they're taking on the ceremonial law, the moral law, and the civil law. There's time to do that. They, there's yeah. time to enculturate, but that's the direction that they to yeah. go to become part of the community. That's right. There's no rush. I mean, they, yeah. you, you're allowed to have right. someone living with you for. I, I mean, I don't. I right. think it's indefinite, but the definitely the idea is that as they are convinced more and more as they adopt these ways, they're influenced by the community, and they're just well, like Ruth. Ruth yeah. is a great example of that. Right. Yeah, and so like a direct, a closest direct parallel would be like church membership. Yeah, uh-huh. mm-hmm. um, like you, we want you to be a part of this church. We're going to seek you out. We're going we to learn from you. We want you to participate. But there are some theological points that you're going to have to come to um, to mm-hmm. be. Val, you know, to have a valid membership here, yep. mm-hmm. and um, and that's that's uh, you know, but, but then when you get to like, okay, well, who comes into the country? Then it gets all kind, it, it gets sticky. Oh man, <laughs> it gets really complicated, that's really hard, and convoluted. Yeah. Um, but you're right. Uh, when God says to Israel, um, to to take care of the immigrant and the alien, um, that tells us something about his heart, right? And so therefore, it it should be reflected somehow. In our policy, but how, what exactly? That's those are several steps that um, you know political science people need to argue about as well. But they shouldn't do it outside of the uh, of theology. It shouldn't be done outside of the church, right? They they're they're like you know they're brothers, the church and the state. They they need each other. They need yeah. to influence one another and and uh, so forth. But hey, th- th- there's this yeah. Well, um, we we probably need to wrap this up. Okay. Oh, um, Willie. <laughs> This is this has been fantastic. I wonder if you'd be willing to stay for a few more minutes to talk about um, something around sports, sports sociology. Um, you've been you've mentioned that yeah. a number of times, yeah. And maybe we oh, can yeah. release that as a bonus episode for our supporters. <laughs> yeah, uh, sure. Would you be willing to do that? 
Oh yeah, yeah. Well, okay. So for this for this main segment, thank you so much for joining us. Um, yeah. Yes. <laughs> this has been super helpful. And again, your book. It, t- say the name of your book again. Strangers and Scapegoats, Extending God's Welcome to Those on the Margins. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, oh, you're fine. It's Thanks a, for having it's me. It's a fantastic It's been delightful. Book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, we've got bonus episodes for you. You've asked for them, we got them. Yep, more Hopper goodness. Bonus episodes are only for our Patreon subscribers. We're a little bit freer to tell stories we really don't want out there in the public. It's kind of like Hopper Podcast After Dark. Ooh. Like that time that we went to see the Rock Hard Willie Band. Yeah, but you've said too much. Okay. Well, listen, it's easy. Just touch or swipe on the cover art of the Hopper Podcast on your podcasting app. Go there and find the show notes. Follow that link and sign up to give us a little bit of money each month, like $5, $10, $20. At any level, you're going to get immediate access to all of our bonus episodes. And we'll also send you a special link to a new private podcast feed. And you will get all the bonus episodes on your phone automatically. We love our Patreon supporters, and we treat them right. So if you want to hear about Willie's Dirty Laundry, oh, come on. sign on up. You know who you are. Thanks so much for your support. You can become a Hopper Podcast Insider today. Okay, Dave, I got another news story for you. All right. Um, just recently, a Michigan man said that he uh, was surprised by, an, uh, by a th- one a bill that he got for over a thousand dollars. Yeah, when his six-year-old son ordered a virtual smorgasbord of food from mm. various restaurants uh, using his phone, like on uh, okay. Grubhub or what's all the uh-huh. I, I haven't used any of those delivery services. Right, he was letting his six-year-old son use his phone. It was Grubhub. It was Grubhub um, in Detroit, and. Uh, he ordered over $1,000 worth of food before it started showing up. Wow. Yeah. Uh, they had an enormous amount of food. And uh, Grubhub has reached out to the family since then and offered them a $1,000 gift card. Uh, I don't okay. know why they yeah. did that. I don't know either. But it's not a reimbursement. It's saying, well, you know, you spent that $1,000, so you can get another $1,000. Anyway, he got... Uh, Let's see. Oh, he was alerted to it when he got, um, there was a fraud alert. This was after $1,000 worth of food. There was a fraud alert declining a $439 order from Happy's Pizza. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, How old is this guy? Six years old. Six years old. Yeah. And his, his dad let him order food. Well, like, no, showed him would, how to do I, it. I think no, no. He was okay. just playing on the phone. He was just like, here's just a, playing on the just phone. Just playing on the phone games. I think. Uh huh. Just playing games. And found out how to order a bunch. Found of food. out how to order food. Um, and he, this is great. Earlier in the evening, he had ordered hundred eighty-three dollars of jumbo shrimp from Happy's Pizza. Nice. That order went through. They got the shrimp. Uh huh. Yeah, but the the. Uh, the bigger order didn't go through, but a bunch of other companies as well, a bunch of other restaurants, and they were eating like kings that night. Mm. Yeah. Um, what would you do if one of your kids did that? Well, I mean, when they were younger, if they, had, <coughs> if they were six years old, yeah, sure, sure, and sure. they ordered a bunch of food, yeah. Um, I, I think the first time they showed up with food, yeah, I would have been like, what is this? Yeah. I didn't order this. Right. And uh, then I would have found out what it was going on, and we would have found a way to resolve it, and it wouldn't have, 
It wouldn't have gone to $1,000. I think, from what I'm reading here, it was $1,000 very, very quickly. Like it was, I could see that when when yeah, when they, when mean, they yeah. on the first delivery, like sorry, the thousand dollars is already gone. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I I did give instructions like, hey, you're you're to play this. You can stay right here and play these few games. Uh huh. Um, or you know, look at look at the the phone over their shoulder a little bit, just kind of monitor. But I could see that happening. I guess. Yeah. Even with being really careful. That's really tough. Yeah. Anyway. You know, I just ordered a uh, a bag of coffee. Talk okay. about uh, sure. yeah. It was um, uh, it was online. It looked like a normal size bag of coffee. Yeah. When it arrived, it was a tiny bag of coffee. Okay. That was uh, yeah presented like it was a right a, right a full bag of coffee right right. And I went and searched the ad because this, I mean this little tiny bag of coffee is yeah. like you know uh, smaller than a scrotum. <laughs> That's what you're. That's what you're measuring. Uh, immediately, what you're thinking well, about when like, you're measuring a, well, yeah. a bag is your <laughs> yeah. scrotum or a scrotum. Yeah. All right. The average scrotum size. Yeah. Not a paper bag. Not that. a hacky yeah. sack. It's a scrotum. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was. Right. It was smaller than a paper bag. You know. All um, right. We're we're not talking about elephant scrotums here. <laughs> um. <laughs> Please let's not. Yeah. Um, by the way, in Texas, they sell bull scrotums. Have you seen those? No. You lived in Texas. I did. I don't. I lived in Texas for a year, and you go into like the the the, the leather shops and the okay. you know the boot stores, the hat stores. I never went into those places. And uh, there, yeah, there's a there'll be a purse that is made from a bull bag. What? Oh yeah, yeah, and it's got hair on it still. It's disgusting. Oh come on. I'm not. I'm not lying. That's yeah. dis- that I, is disgusting. I'll, I can find a picture. I, I'm I'm sure I got a picture. No, from thank back. you. I'm, yeah. I'm I'm good. I think I'm okay. So they got like a you know they got a leather strap on it, and it's just it's a big bag that they've that, of rawhide that they it's from the scrotum. They just they molded and let it dry in that shape, and it's a purse of a bull scrotum. All right, let's go back to the coffee. Yeah. So it, it was it was this little tiny bag that was <coughs> that was presented like a real bag of coffee, mm-hmm. and um, this is the kind of. You know, yeah, I mean, the, the internet, yeah. uh, and so some kid gets on a phone, and he, you know, there's all these ads, and sure, yeah, I, and they make it super easy for you. Yeah, I'm sure. Really, I have never done it, but I, it, I'm sure they make it easy. So I could see where you could get carried away, and then yeah. you, you're you're paying. So so in this in my case, I paid the the cost yeah. of a full bag of coffee. Right. Sure. And I got this little tiny bag. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And and I went and searched the ad, and I saw oh that it said four ounces on it. Yeah. But it was like a fine print. Over, right, right, right. Tiny, know, tiny, tiny. Yeah, and and the picture had like coffee beans and stuff that that right. to scale. Yeah, it it was a, it was a farce. Yeah, you know, totally. I yeah. thought you didn't drink coffee. Well, it was for someone else. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. I was buying a gift. Okay. And then I had to give him this little tiny bag they thought of you were coffee. A <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, I got you some specialty coffee. Uh-huh. Sorry, it's a little bag. <laughs> Okay, let me. T- so something else happened. Um, speaking of Texas, do you, uh, did you hear about? I heard about it in the news um, that the Dallas Zoo was losing animals. Did you hear about this? Losing them how? They were they they would come back and they would come in the morning and there's animals gone. Oh, this is ringing a bell. Yeah, but... that happened this year. Just just recently. Yeah. 
Um, I've been to the Dallas Zoo a number of times. When we uh-huh. lived in Dallas, I love zoos. Uh, we need to put that in the hopper. I don't know. Um, I love zoos, and I'm going to keep going to zoos, but I, I'm also conflicted yeah. about the ethics you. of zoos. But that, that's a different topic. The Dallas Zoo is actually a great zoo, um, and it's a lot of fun. We had a membership there when we lived there, but they finally um, figured out what was going on, and they caught a 24-year-old man. Um, he had been stealing animals from the zoo. Okay. Um, they they found specifically that he had taken two monkeys out of their enclosure uh-huh. at night. Um, he took them on the the uh, the rail system for his getaway. He had them, I guess, in a bag. Okay. And he took him back to his house. His name is Davion Irvin. He said he loves animals. He's trying to free these animals one by one or two by two, I suppose. Huh. Um, and he, so they're all back at his house or his apartment, I think. Uh-huh. Yeah. He, he um, usually would wait until dark, jump the fence, get into the zoo grounds. <laughs> um, a couple times he had to cut the metal um, fence enclosure. Uh-huh. Um and then he would jump the fence again and get on the train. They got back to his house, and they found a bunch of animals, zoo animals, um, at his house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, were they in cages? No. They were set free? They were in his in house. In his house. Yeah. Yeah. I bet that was a lovely sight. Yeah. Um, he had taken a clouded leopard. That was okay. the biggest uh, mm-hmm. one. I don't know how he got that back. They don't know how he got that back, but they had they he set it free apparently from his house. It was not working well to keep this leopard huh. in his house. Can you Weird. imagine? Weird. Yeah, yeah, very strange. Very but strange. they found the leopard earlier, um, but they didn't know who had taken it. He had taken it. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so now he is in jail. They're pressing charges, of course. Uh-huh. But he has been very very clear if he gets out, he's going to do it again. Yeah. Um He's going to do it again. Any mental illness going on here? I mean, hard to say. Yeah, hard to say. Topic for the hopper. Yeah, you know, um, at what point does mental illness and the legal system collide? Oh my goodness! You know, oh, they, as far I mean, as we can talk prison reform, for a long time about that. Yeah. yeah, and that's a that's a big big topic that we yeah. should, that we should absolutely talk about. Yeah, it's hard to know if he's got mental illness or not. Yeah. Um, I mean, it is kind of strange. That is strange. Yeah, it may be mental illness, or it may not be. It may uh-huh. be that he's just trying to make a statement about, you know, animals and trying. Or maybe to... it's the thrill. Oh, the, that could be that. Could, that's, that's getting away with it, and then right, yeah, which would not this be mental is all illness just the either. Story of you know, but it could be some sort of mental illness yeah. as well. Listening to the Hopper Podcast. Let's keep the conversation going about things that matter and things that don't. You can write us or call us. Just tap or swipe on the purple Hopper Podcast cover art in your podcasting app and find the show notes for ways to suggest a topic for the Hopper or to tell us a funny story. You can always go to thehopperpodcast.org. Hey, try to keep it clean, and if you do, we'll probably feature you on an up, in an upcoming episode. Special thanks this week go to Flea and his nasty, wet, tidy, whitey underroots disgusting. Thank you. Uh, And be sure to like, subscribe, follow, and join our Facebook group for more Hopper goodness. Join our Patreon for the bonus episodes. Willie, what's the take-home lesson from this episode? The take-home lesson here in 2023 is we can finally say now definitively that Netflix DVD subscription is a ripoff. It's true. Mm -hmm. I think I'm going to cancel mine. Yeah.